Welcome, everybody. My name is Bruce Willis, and uh, glad to be here working on my next movie, Die Hard 7, Die Hardest. By the way, is Joe the plumber here? I hear he's from Toledo. I just have one word to say about that gentleman. I like the way he does his hair. Bill can testify to this. I have been fixing my hair for the last hour, but I forgot to bring it. If you are in this room and you're in the process of losing your hair, there's some interesting things that happen to you that only we can identify with. And I'm looking around the room and I'm spotting those of you who know what I'm talking about. Um, One of them is um, you, you start to notice that your part gets wider and wider. And then after that, your barber starts charging you less each time you get a haircut. And then, suddenly you become a believer in global warming because every time you walk outside, you know the sun is getting hotter. Your friends, when you're in a well-lit room, start putting on sunglasses when they're talking to you. Two years goes by and you notice you're using the same shampoo that you bought two years ago. Every day uh, takes you longer to wash your face. And my favorite is the dog, my dog at least, began getting very irritated at me because of all my shedding. So, these are things, can I get an amen on that from those of you? But, uh, but if you're good looking, you don't really need it up here, you know what I'm saying? That's right. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. See, we got some good looking guys in here. Alright, so anyway, that's what I wanted to say to Joe the Plumber if he was going to be here. It's good to see that you all have a sense of humor. Let me say a few things about what we're doing this weekend. Um, I have no idea why... You're in this room. I suspect that uh, many of you are in here because of uh, two reasons. Well, maybe three. One, you're here because you are interested in experiencing organic church life. What I call organic church life, what Milt calls organic church life. And that basically is church life as community under the headship of Jesus Christ. I'm not an advocate of house church. And the reason is, is because house churches, they vary so widely. And quite frankly, most of them are basically what I would call a glorified Bible study. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not, that's not why I'm in this room tonight. That's not why Milt and I came here. We have no interest in starting glorified Bible studies. Many house churches have a pastor who leads it. They have a a local leader who basically runs it. Um, The buck stops with that person. They may not go by the name pastor. They may be offended to even be called that. But that's in effect and in practice what they are. And so you have many house churches that are a scaled down version of the institutional church. They're just meeting at home. And they're less formal. And then you have some that are just, I would just call them supper fests. They're groups of people who get together and all they do is eat together, you know, and they have trouble maintaining their weight because they eat so much. Uh, But the early Christians ate a lot, but that's not all they did. There was a higher purpose. 
there was something beyond all the things I mentioned that they were meeting for. And it was for and to and by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the centrality. He was the supremacy. He was the preeminence. He was the obsession of the early Christians. They gathered unto Him. They gathered by Him, through Him, and to Him. And that's why Milt and I are here this weekend. That's what we're interested in. So some of you came here for that because you want to see or you want to be part of an organic expression of the church. And many of you here are probably saying, can I find anybody else who lives remotely near me who's interested in this? Now, is there anybody like that in here that you, you want to find other people? Raise your hand if you're looking for other people to meet with. Okay, good. We're, I'm in the right place then. Some of you are in here because whether you realize it or not, you are looking to know the Lord better. You are not satisfied with where you are spiritually. You want to know Him better. There's an instinct in you that says, there's got to be more than this. I want to know Him. And let me just say this. The two are connected. Knowing Jesus Christ deeply and being part of an organic expression of the church are intimately connected. You can't separate them. Polar bears belong in the Arctic. And whales belong in salt water. And you as a Christian belong in the experience of ecclesia in a living, breathing community of people that have enthroned Christ as the only head. Not a human being, but Christ. And that's how we get to know Him. We get to know Him in community. How many of you, you live in Michigan? Would you stand up, please? Stand up if you live in Michigan. Oh, my goodness, look at this. Welcome. All right, have a seat. Sit down now. Thank you. Okay. How many of you live in Ohio? Stand up, please. Yeah, good. Okay. Okay, have a seat. Uh, almost half-half, maybe. A little heavier on the Ohio side. Is there anybody in here that lives somewhere else? Indiana. Well, we're going to have to ask you to leave the meeting, but you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Michigan on the <laughs> it's good to have you. Can I ask how you got here? I'm actually with them. It's right on the border. Okay. Right cool. Well, good to have you, man. You represent the whole state then. Awesome. I figured I had a sense that there was somebody in here from a different state. So, uh, How many of you in here have read the untold story of the New Testament church. Now, you may be tempted to lie. It's okay if you haven't. But raise your hand if you have. Untold story. Okay. How many have read pagan Christianity? Oh, yes, of course. Of course, you all are Barna fanatics here. <laughs> How many have read um, Reimagining Church? Oh, good. Well, if you read Reimagining Church, you know who I am, you know what I believe, and you know why I'm here. We want to see as a result of this conference. It may happen next week. It may happen a month from now. It may happen six months from now. I don't know. But as a result of this conference, we want to see the Lord raise up some organic expressions of the church standing for Jesus Christ alone in Ohio and in Michigan. And that's why we're doing this. Now, let me just say something about Brother Milt and I. We are not experts I do not believe that there are any experts in this business. 
And if anybody tells you they're an expert, I would run for the door. If they say, you know, if somebody else calls them an expert, that's sometimes you can't help that, you know. But I don't believe there are any experts in this business. We have made mistakes. We've been at this a long time, raising up churches organically. We've made mistakes. We have had successes. We've learned from our mistakes. We've learned from our successes. We've been around long enough and we've seen enough to know what gives birth to organic church life, how it's sustained, and what kills it. And so we're here to help. We very much believe that just like the churches in the first century raised up outside help, ministry of Jesus Christ is important, especially if you start meeting this way and it's the real thing. If you have the real thing, organic church life, you're going to need some help from the outside, trust me. Lots of these groups don't last very long. And one reason is because they're not founded on Christ to begin with. And the glue that holds them together is something other than Jesus Christ. And guess what? If it's not Christ, it's not going to last. But the other thing is, even if it is meeting around Christ, there's a little problem we have, and that is all the brothers and sisters that you meet with are fallen. Did you hear that? All the brothers and sisters that you meet with are fallen. See? And so it's hard to get along with them because they have all this baggage and uh, you, you follow me? And uh, so, you know, the people that you're put together with, quite frankly, are the problem. And th- this, is, this is the reason why a lot of them don't last is because, hey, well, let's face it, we're Americans. If, if it gets hot in the kitchen, I'm out of here. I'll go somewhere else. You know, there's like 15,000 churches in my city block that I can go, go be a part of. I have options. And so people don't stay together, you know. And I have found that those who hang together do so because of a higher vision that they've caught. This is not about me. It's not about my needs. In fact, I'm ready to go to the cross and die. And I'll tell you what. If you go this way, brothers and sisters, if you have true, authentic, organic church life under the headship of Christ, your Lord will bring the cross into your life through your brothers and sisters. And you will discover that it's not just them. The problem is with moi. I am a fallen person, and I have a lot of problems, and God's exposing it. You know, you heard the old saying, I was never this way until I met you. No, you were. That person just brought it out. Are you following me? Okay. Good. Now all this is preface. Brother Milton and I, we work with two other brothers, and we're connected with many people uh, who are laboring this way, but there's four of us who work very closely together. There are four great, great chapters in the New Testament that stand above all the others. In other words, if you had to go through your New Testament and you say, I, I, can li- I will live the rest of my life with these four chapters... They contain the highest, most sublime revelation of Christ and the church and God's purpose. These four chapters. Now, I'm going to name three of them for you and then see if you can guess the the fourth one. Ephesians chapter 1. Unparalleled. Incredible chapter. Unbelievable. Ephesians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 1. Now, Milt will give 
the person who gets the right answer. What's the fourth great chapter? And there's a consensus among most all Bible scholars and students of Scripture. He will give you $20,000 Monday afternoon. You will meet him Monday afternoon and he will give you the $20,000. If you guess this right, the first person that guesses it right. Okay, anybody want to guess what the fourth greatest chapter in the New Testament is? Oh, that's a, that's a good answer. But no, that'd probably be around fifth. This one trumps that. Galatians 5 is a good, good answer, but that's not it. This one's even richer than that. 1 Corinthians 12, oh, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, no, but that Pentecostals would love that one. And that, no, that, I'm, I'm teasing, but it is good. It's good. I, I love 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, personally. <laughs> they, they, want, they want this money, brother. <laughs> Romans 8. Romans 8 contains virtually every theme presented in the New Testament is crystallized in Romans 8. And God's eternal purpose, the missio dei, the mission of God, the ultimate intention of God is in Romans 8, as well as an incredible look at how the Lord sees every one of us. And His view is very different from our view. Now, this weekend, I'm going to make a promise. Some of you in this room are going to get set free this weekend if you hang around, especially if you're here Sunday morning. Uh, I'm serious. Many of you in this room, not all of you, but many of you have a bottom basement view of yourself. You have been told for so long by preachers and Christian radio and Christian TV and books that God loves you, but, but, God loves you, but, And many of you here, your relationship with the Lord, if you peel away the layers of the onion, is based on, am I doing enough to make Him happy? Is He really pleased with me? And I'll tell you what, virtually every sermon you hear reinforces that. I would say that 95% of the ministry we hear in sermons, books, conferences, what have you, if you take the sermon that you hear, most of them now, I'd put it at 95%, and you peel it away, here's basically what it is. God is holy. You aren't. Try harder. Can I get a little bitty amen on that from somebody? Whenever I hear somebody preach, i got two things that go through my head. Is this the tree of life? Or is this a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Is this Jesus Christ? Or is this duty and religion and condemnation and guilt? Or is it Christ? And there's a difference between being challenged in the Spirit and having your basis and your motivation a response to His overwhelming love that you're confident in. There's a big difference in that than in most of what's going on today. And let me just say this. Organic church life, the real thing, 
it begins in a groundbreaking revelation of Jesus Christ that blows your mind and you basically are gripped and captured by His love. And you're secure in it. You're secure in it for the first time. I have pastors, pastors now, have told me and said, you know, Frank, I really don't know if God's happy with me and if He loves me. I preach it to my people. Notice how he says, my people. They're the Lord's people, sir. They're not your people. But anyway, I preach it to my people. But I don't believe it. This is the message today. You know, work harder, do better, get off your butt and get out there. And you know what, saints? That's not the message of the New Testament. That's not the message of Paul. And you'll see this. It's not the message of Romans 8. What we do is going to come out of one of two sources. It's going to come out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And your efforts and your attempt to try and to be a good Christian, or it's going to come out of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ that's inside you right now. Two totally different things. So, we are going to take a bath in Romans 8 this weekend. That's all we're going to do. And I'm going to speak tonight on the first part of it. It's going to take us a little while to get through it. And Brother Milt's going to speak tomorrow morning. It's going to take more of it, take another chunk off of it. And then we're going to have a Q&A session, Milt and I, tomorrow at 2 o'clock. From 2 to 3, one hour, we're going to have a Q&A. And then um, tomorrow night, Milt will speak, and tomorrow uh, Sunday morning, I will speak and close it out. You don't want to miss that, folks. I, I hope you can be here. That's like the high point of it, you know what I mean? That's like the, the peak the high mountaintop. <clears throat> so, having said all that, I would like you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Romans 7, verse 14. What we need to do is step back a little bit and look at where Paul was and where he's going. We have to look at the context. Let me say this, saints. I'm also going to be giving you, Milton and I will be giving you very practical handles on how to make this letter live and breathe in your life. Uh, this is not just, okay, you heard the message, you got it in your notebook, go home. You know what I mean? We're going to give some practical handles on this. So let's go ahead and plunge in right here on Romans 7 verse 14. For we know that the law, this is the law of God, is spiritual. But I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. The law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. Now Paul here is speaking of the 613 laws of Moses. This is called the law of God. And the problem here, Paul identifies, is not the law. There's no problem with the law. The law is good. The law is spiritual. The problem is with you and me. There's a power outage. Problems on our end. And here, here's what it is, folks. You are the wrong species to fulfill the law of God. You're a human being and you're a fallen human being. And the law was never made for human beings to obey. It was made to show human beings that they needed a Savior. 
and Paul says this repeatedly. He says it in Romans. He says it in Corinthians. He says it in Galatians. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He says in another place that the law is not made for the righteous. It's made for the lawbreakers and the sinners. And he gives this list of these people who break the law. It's not made for the righteous. For you to try to fulfill the law of God is like a cat trying to drive an automobile. Long species. The problem is not the automobile. The problem is the cat is the wrong life form. Unless, of course, you know about Tunsis, the driving cat. Has anyone seen Saturday Night Live? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Tunsis, the driving cat, right? Okay, Tunsis, if you don't know, Saturday Night Live had this skit. It's Tunsis. She's the driving cat, and she's behind the wheel. Look, honey, Tunsis is driving the car. She doesn't look too well. Well, in every episode, it's the same. She drives over a cliff, and you see the car go, and they're screaming, of course, and then it goes down you know, into this pit and blows up. That's kind of like you as a human being trying to obey the 613 laws of Moses, the law of God. To try to fulfill that perfectly is like, Tunsis, you're the wrong life form. Now, I'm going to open this up more, but this is his point. The law is spiritual, but I'm a flesh. I'm sold in the bondage of sin. Now, what's going to follow here is amazing. And scholars have looked at this, and they all have different opinions on it. But now, for the first time, you will hear the correct interpretation (laughs) of this text. You will no longer be confused. I am joking. I'm glad you laughed. If I was a betting man, I have money hidden in my shoes that this is correct. I don't care if you're a Jew under the law. I don't care if you're a heathen Gentile who's drinking blood out of skulls, and they were in the first century. And I don't care if you're a Christian in the 21st century. What Paul is going to describe applies to any human being who tries to obey the law of God. And when I say that, I don't mean, all right, you know, I didn't commit adultery today, I obeyed the law. No, I'm talking about all of it. And you know Jesus made it harder, didn't he? Well, you've heard it said that uh, if you commit murder. But I say if you get angry with your brother, right? So my point here is, What Paul's doing is he's giving you and me a picture of what a person, whether Christian or unchristian, what they experience when they try to be, quote, a good Christian and obey God's law, obey His commandments. Now the key word there is try. When you try to obey God's law. Watch it now. He's going to to paint a very vivid picture. Verse 15, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law of God, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So basically, he's talking about this tension he has. I want to do good. I want to obey the law. I know the law is good, but I do the things I hate. And then he blames it on sin. And look what he says in verse 17. It is no longer I, the one who am doing it, but sin which dwells 
in me. Now this is powerful. Sin dwells in me. The Greek word there dwells, sin dwells in me, is the same Greek word that Paul will use in Romans 8 when he says the Spirit dwells in me, in you. Sin dwells in me, he says. The Spirit dwells in me. That's significant. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, in my body, in my fallen body. For the willing is present in me. The will to do good is in me. I want to do good, but the doing of the good is not there. So here you see a man or a woman, it applies to both, who wants to do good, but they can't. Something is keeping them back. And Paul says it's this thing called sin that dwells in me. It's fighting against that which I want to do. So when you try to fulfill the commandments of God, when you try to be perfect, I'm saying fulfill God's commandments, this is your experience at one point or another. Verse 19, For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, he's not escaping responsibility. He's not saying, hey man, it's not me that's doing it, it's sin, it's not my fault. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, there's something that lives inside me that I keep yielding to, and I don't want to. The evil that I don't want to do, whatever it is, losing my temper, whatever it is, the things I don't want to do, I just keep doing it. And the things that I do want to do, the good, I want to do good, I can't. Now listen to the words in verse 20 here. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And the NIV says, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me. It is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me. It is no longer I who's doing it. It is sin living in me. There's another verse in the New Testament that sounds a little bit like that, but it's different. It is not I, but it is sin dwelling in me. What's the other verse? It is not I, but Christ living in me. I'm going to run that by again if you didn't catch it. Verse 20 it is no longer I doing it, but it is sin that lives in me, that dwells in me. That's what dwells means, lives. Galatians 2.20 It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Is Jesus Christ alive? Yeah. And according to Paul in Galatians 2.20, Christ is living in Paul, right? It's no longer I that does it, Christ living in me. Well, brothers and sisters, guess what? Sin is a life form. Sin is a life form and it dwells in your members, the members of your body. Now that's important. Hold on to your hat here. I'm going to unpack this. Verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Verse 22. For I joyfully concur or agree with the law of God in the inner man, in, in my innermost parts, in my mind. I agree that the law is good, but verse 23, I see a different law, a different principle in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, or the principle of sin. 
which is in my members. This thing, this life form called sin is in his members. O wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but brothers and sisters, if you have never come to that place in your life where you have said, O wretched man, O wretched woman, I can't do it. I can't live the Christian life. It's impossible. If you've not come to that place, then you're not ready to experience Romans 8. God must bring you and me to a place of utter defeat, failure, given up, and recognizing that I cannot do it. Somebody else, somebody else has got to do this. I can't do it. And it may take years for some. For some, it doesn't take all that long. Most of us, it takes a while because we're taught that we can live the Christian life constantly. And every sermon you hear, the supposition is that you, you can, if you try hard enough, obey God's law. You yourself, if you try, you can do good. And Paul is saying, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, you can't. Now, folks, we're not stopping here now. But you have to come to that point. And there, here's where he is. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from the body of this death? This dead carcass saying it's going to die one day. I'm dragging it around here and all it's doing is it's fighting with me every time I want to do good. And it's giving me urges that I'm trying to resist and I can't. And then he says it in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is one declarative statement. He found something. He found the secret to the Christian life. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Now, that's simple, I know, but let's go further. So then he, he sums up at the end of verse 25. On the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. Meaning, I want to do, I want to serve God. I want to do what's right. But, on the other hand, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This is a portrait of a person who is trying to make God happy to fulfill his law. Now, in order to properly unravel this whole thing, I need to give a little lesson on spiritual anatomy. So I'm going to do this visually, okay? I'm going to pick people out of the audience, and I would like you to, to be part of this. Okay, Brother Dan, come on up here. We're going to make this easy, all right? Dan, I want you to sit right here. You, sir, are sin. Okay? That's sin right there. Now, I'm going to explain to you what sin is. I told you it's a life form, right? Because it dwells in the body. Lives. That's what that word means. It lives. Okay, now, Sister Aubrey, would you mind c coming up here? We're going to use you for something. If you would, stand right here. This is, go ahead and look at the audience. This is the spirit of a human being. Not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of a human being. And now we need the soul. Who, who wants to be a soul? Alright, you look like a good soul. Come on, come on up here. Good soul. This is the spirit of human beings right here. And by the way, you're going to sit down in a little while so you can rest. But these guys are going to have to stand up. Okay, right here, Jack. You're the soul. And now, would anybody like to offer to be the body? 
which will turn into something else shortly. <laughs> Come on now, we need a bold person. We've got to have a man do this. You look like you can fit the part here, buddy. Come on now. Yeah, I'm just playing with you. Okay. Now, right here. Stand right here. Now then. And you are going to be... You're just going to sit there. You're fine. You're the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> and uh, you are the tree of life. Okay? Now, we're going to go back to the garden. When God created human beings, He created them spirit, soul, body. And His intention was that the spirit of the human would lead and be in the ascendancy. It would direct and govern the soul, which is the mind, the will, and emotions. This is the real you. This is your personality. Okay? Your soul. Suke is the word. It's you. The spirit was to lead, and then the body was to follow. The body is a servant. It follows the spirit and the soul. Now, the Lord said to Adam, eat of any tree except for this one. And his intention was for the human being to eat of the tree of life. Now, you have any idea why it's called the tree of life? There's a life form that's contained in that tree. Anybody for $1,000? Milt will pay you on Tuesday. $1,000. What kind of life is that? Anybody know what kind of life that is? It's eternal life. It's divine life. It is Christ. It's divine life. This tree, oh sorry, this tree, we'll say it's both, is pulsating, pulsating, vibrating with the life of God, which Watchman Nee called the highest life. You know, you have vegetable life, animal life, angel life. Man was made a little lower than the angels. But then there is the highest life of all, God's life. So that's what it is. And the tree is saying, come, take of my fruit, eat me, so that I can come inside you. And where would it go? It would go in man's spirit, humans now, in his spirit. And now the body and the soul would live from this divine life. Right? You follow me? That's God's intention. To live by divine life, to live by Christ who is the tree of life given to us again, right? But here's what happened. He didn't do that. Instead, the man ate from this tree. Oh, my bad. I get it all confused. Thank you. Sin never takes responsibility. somebody else. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now watch this. Once... Man took from that tree, several things happened. The first thing is, the spirit died. So you can sit down now. You're still the spirit. Died. Lights went out. That's when God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. The spirit went out. The spirit was to contain the life of God. Then... The soul expanded. So you're going to stand right here in the place of the Spirit. And the soul enlarged and got distorted and took the place of the Spirit. And because the soul ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now it became a being that had the knowledge of right and wrong. And 
because it was made in God's image, wanted to do the right. Had the will to do good. But it didn't have the power to do good. It's just the knowledge of good. Saints, listen, the knowledge of good and evil is the knowledge not just of evil, it's the knowledge of good. But the knowledge of good is not the same as good. Good is a life form. Only God is good. Remember when Jesus was asked, Good Master, oh, don't call me good. Only God is good. And Romans 3 says, No one does good. That's because good, a human being, is incapable of doing good because good is a life form. Here's good. It's the life of God. Only God is goodness. It's a life form. So what the soul wanted to do was to be good, but something else happened when humans ate of the tree. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that act, this other life form came into the body, and the body, that's right, the body, listen, the body became flesh. Sin turned the body into flesh. And now sin, which is a life form, lives in the body. And here's what happened. Remember the spirit was in the ascendancy? Well, now switch places. Now the flesh is in the ascendancy, and it drags the soul around. And so we have sin, which is a life form, living in the body. The spirit was in the ascendancy. The spirit died. And now what was in the ascendancy is now in the last place. It's dead. And what was in the last place, the body, is now in first place, infused by this life form called sin. But here's the powerful thing. The tree of life had God's life in it. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had sin in it. And sin is a life form. Do you know what sin is? It is the nature of Satan. It is the embodiment of satanic life. Sin is, in effect, selfishness. It is, in effect, independence from God. It is, in effect, rebellion. That is the nature of Lucifer. And when man fell, when human beings fell, sin, which Paul says, this this thing that dwells in my body, the nature of the enemy came into human beings. That's why Jesus talked to the Pharisees and says, Your father is the devil. And in John, 1 John, it says we are children of the devil. We're, we were children of the devil. Now we're children of God. Okay? So, Satan is an angel, right? Is Satan an angel? He's a fallen angel. Now what's stronger? Human life or angelic life? Angelic life is stronger than human life. Never wrestle with an angel. You're outclassed. You will lose. Now, watch what happens. The soul, which is you, has the knowledge of good. But it doesn't have the life of good. Talking about unregenerate man in the garden. has the knowledge of good. And it's made in the image of God. It wants to do good. The soul is human life. That's the energy. It's you. You're a human being. Well, guess what? Every time the soul wants to do good, there's something here, another life form that says, No way. And it's angelic life, and it's stronger. Are you with me? And that's what Paul's talking about. I want to do good, the soul. I have the knowledge of good. I want to do good. But there's something living inside me that's stronger. It is because it's alive, and it's the life of the enemy. It's angelic life. 
Now, here's the beauty of Romans 8. I'm going to stop right there. We'll get to Romans 8 and I'll tell you what happens. But this is awesome. This should help you understand why you as a human cannot do good. Because if it's the soul trying to do it, the human life, it's no match for this. Now that'll stop once the body's dead. The struggle's over. But as long as it's alive, there's going to be this power. If the human being is trying to do good with the knowledge of good, the knowledge of good will never give you power. There's no power in it. All right, I hope that helps. Give him a hand. You can go back to see. Fine job, fine job. Yeah, great. Okay, now, I said that you cannot live the Christian life. You, you can't, you can't. Human being, you can't. Your soul. When the body became flesh, the natural urges of the body were distorted and perverted. So hunger became gluttony. And the sex drive became lust. And on and on and on. So what the body was meant to do, follow the spirit, it ended up reversing and it became something called flesh. And it had the life of sin in it. Now, let's, let's go to Romans 8. After all of that, I said that you cannot live the Christian life. Let me make a statement here. If that sounds strange to you, Jesus Christ himself said that he too couldn't live the Christian life. He came as a man. He was God, but he came as a man. He laid down his divine powers. And if you remember in John 5, he said, Without my Father, I can't do anything. And then he turned around and he said to you and me in John 15, Without me, you can do nothing. So brothers and sisters, it's time that we believe that. That's the beginning. What does this have to do with organic church life? What does this have to do with Christian community? Well, just hold, hold on to your chair because it has everything to do with it. Romans 8. Are you ready? Let's go ahead. I'm only going to do uh, up to verse 11. Brother Milt's going to take it on from there. Romans 8, verse 1. He's just described this failure to live in a way that pleases God because of this thing called sin in Him. Not synonym, sin in Him. Verse 1, Therefore, in light of all that I've said in Romans 7 and even before that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now that verse is the main point of the whole chapter. And like a flower that begins to bloom, what Paul does is he begins to unravel and open up this beautiful flower as he goes through Romans 8. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter, the whole flower is giving off its fragrances in full bloom. But he's just beginning. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Because you are in Christ... He's talking to the church in Rome. Well, I'm talking to you, brothers and sisters in Ohio and Michigan. Because you are in Christ now, there's no condemnation for you. You cannot be condemned. The only way that you can be condemned is if Jesus Christ can be condemned. Why? Because you're in Him. You're in Christ. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. 
And this is not the Toledo Herald I'm reading from. This is the New Testament. This is what we call the Word of God. There is no, now, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation, brothers and sisters, because you're in Christ. The day that they can condemn Jesus Christ, or the day that God condemns Jesus Christ, is the day that He will condemn you. That will not happen. Some of you are skeptical right now. You know, I don't know about that. Just wait. Just hold on. Come back Sunday, especially. Uh, you will be convinced. Can you imagine a group of Christians meeting together as the Church of Jesus Christ that have taken this into their hearts and spirits where there's no condemnation and no guilt, but they're totally in love with the Lord, not out of duty, not out of trying to make God happy, and they're afraid that they won't. Not out of condemnation. But they are free from condemnation. And the love is pure. And it's just a returning back to what's coming to them. Can you imagine a church like that? Saints, I have seen churches like that. Organic churches. It is the most freeing thing you will ever watch in your life. And people who get around them, non-Christians included, say, I've never met such a free people. And that, that's not free meaning, you know, oh, let's go out and get drunk. Oh, we're free. We're dealing with condemnation. That's not what I'm talking about. Free to love God. Free to be themselves. Free not to have this, this fear. This terror. It's a beautiful thing, saints. There is... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in this room, you have been put in Christ by God the Father. And that's where you are. And there's no condemnation, saints. Now it's going to take a little while to get this through because I'm telling you, we have not been told this to the point where it's become a revelation to us. Verse 2. Now here's where it gets real interesting. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus, that word law there should be principle. Controlling principle. It's not, it doesn't mean like our set of rules. The controlling principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It set you free from the principle of sin and death. Okay, here's what happened. The Christians in Rome, they got offered the tree of life again. In the person of Jesus Christ. He that eateth me shall live by me just as I live by the Father. Jesus Christ is the reality of the tree of life. He is God's life in a form where we can partake and it come into us. So now, here's what happened. If you are a believer in this room, and I believe and most of all of you are probably, you took a bite out of the tree of life. And guess who lives in you now? Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, is in you. But you know what? If you, the soul, are trying to overcome the law of sin and death, you will lose every time. Because you're fighting against angelic life. But, if you learn how to let Jesus Christ live, then you're set free from the law of sin and death. Because God's life is higher than angel life. Does that make sense to you? So the secret is not trying to do better and be better and try harder. The secret is, okay, how do I get this life 
to live. Does that make sense to you? And that's what Paul is saying. The whole way out of Romans 8 is to understand, I have an indwelling Lord. And I, listen, can live by that Lord. I can live by Christ. That's possible, brothers and sisters. Do you know what the church is? I'm going to give you the best definition of the church you'll ever hear in your life. And this is experiential. This is not theoretical. The church of Jesus Christ, the organic expression of the church, if you want to call it that, the New Testament church, is a group of people who have divine life living in them, and they are, listen, learning how to live by a life not their own. They're learning how to live by a life not their own. They're learning how to live by Christ together. They're learning how to live by an indwelling Lord. You know, I get frustrated sometimes because I'm a reader. I read books. I read a lot of the new stuff that comes out. I listen to some people speak, you know, when I'm in conferences and stuff. I'm constantly hearing, okay, let's look at what Jesus did. Jesus did this. Jesus did that. we got to be like Jesus. So, what would Jesus do? Right? You... Let's mimic Jesus. Let's imitate Jesus. Jesus is our example. Brothers and sisters, it ain't going to happen. not going to happen. You can't do it. Give it up. Give it up. It won't work. How come we don't hear, this is how Jesus lived the Christian life. Jesus lived by His Father. I don't say anything except for the Father. I don't do anything but the Father. I can't do anything but the Father. The Father, it's the Father, it's not me. Right? Where's that message? And so... You and I live the Christian life just like Jesus Christ lived the Christian life. He lived by His Father. You live by Christ. What the Father was to Jesus, Jesus Christ is to you. And, here's the beautiful thing. It's possible. It can happen. I'll get to that as we go on. Alright, let's go ahead. The law of the Spirit, the principle, the working of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law of God could not do God's commandments could not do this. Brothers and sisters, the commandments of God, whether you read them or hear them, cannot do this. The law could not do this. Weak as it were through the flesh, what the law couldn't do, God did. How did God do it? He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now here we're getting to the cross. Let me tell you what happened at the cross, and this is mind-boggling. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, God came out condemning. He turned the body of Jesus into sinful flesh. He turned His own Son into the embodiment of sin. And we're told this in 2 Corinthians. Christ became sin. Listen to this. Every sin that's ever been committed, past, present, Future, every sin in the entire universe, in space-time, every sin was put on Christ. And Jesus was made sin. And then the Father came out condemning. But He didn't condemn His Son. And He didn't condemn human beings. He condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Wow! If it's there that it went on His Son, then that means there's no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ. That's his point. What the law couldn't do, couldn't give you power to live by the Lord's life, couldn't give you power to do good, the law can't do that. God's commandments can't do that. God did. How did God did it? God did it by making His Son a sin offering. And in the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemned sin in the flesh. Praise the Lord. That's good news. That takes a load off. Verse 4, So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The requirement of the law. Now, it doesn't say requirements. And if you have a version that says requirements, that's not reflected in the Greek. The best versions say requirement, and it actually means decree or verdict. The verdict of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know what the verdict of the law is? The verdict of the law is you better obey all 613 laws perfectly, else you're guilty. Well, brothers and sisters, because Jesus Christ bore that sin, past, present, and future, the requirement has been fulfilled in you and me. Because God made Christ sin, who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. God made His Son sin and condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus so that we might receive His righteousness. What the law couldn't do, saints, God did. Praise the Lord! God did it. And then He says, He describes us. He describes us and He says, It was fulfilled in us. Who us? Those of us who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You know what that means? It means you can walk according to a life not your own. Walking according to the Spirit or walking in the Spirit is just another way of saying living by divine life. Just another way of putting it. I like living by divine life better because I think walking in the Spirit has been emptied of its power. I was For many years I was part of the Pentecostal charismatic movement and praise the Lord I've received a lot from them but you know they talk about walking in the Spirit and they're not talking about living by divine life. Saints, we can live by life not our own. And here then he goes on in the next verse and here's where he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit in verse uh, 5. He actually mentions it in the last part of verse 4. But here he begins to discuss the Holy Spirit. Now up to this point in the book of Romans, Paul hardly ever mentions the Holy Spirit. Okay, But right now in Romans 8, he mentions it about 20 times. The Spirit. All of a sudden, he's talking to us about this thing called, or this person called, the Spirit. Right? And what I find interesting is that in this chapter, Paul is giving us the most important things about the Spirit. The most important, preeminent things about the Spirit. His, his deepest, highest work in Romans chapter 8. And what I find interesting is what he doesn't talk about. What does he not talk about? Nowhere in Romans 8 will you find him talking about miracles. You won't find him talking about speaking in tongues. You won't find him talking about signs and wonders. You won't find him talking about spiritual gifts. Now, I believe in all those things, and Paul mentions them in other places. But here in Romans 8, this sublime chapter, 
our living by an indwelling Lord. He doesn't mention any of that. And I would say to you that saints, what he's saying here about living by Christ, living by the Spirit, is the most important thing. All the other things flow out of that. And you know, miracles are great. I mean, I love miracles. Hey, look, I believe in miracles, okay? If you get offended by that, I'm sorry. I I believe them. I believe God still does those things. But you know what? If I had to choose between a miracle and seeing miracles and living by God Himself, living by divine life, then I would choose the living by divine life. In fact, if you're going to have miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit on your life that's going to have any kind of value and last long with fruit coming out of it, you'd better live by divine life because if you're living in the flesh, people can live in the flesh and do miracles. That does happen. (laughs) The fruit is bad. So saints, let's get our priorities right is what I'm saying. Paul here says this is the most important thing. Denominations are built, movements are built on these other things. But living by divine life, living by the Spirit... Boy, that is where the center is. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does, His main work. He takes what is true of Christ and makes it real in your life. I'm going to repeat that. The Holy Spirit's main job is to take what is true of Jesus Christ and to take what's true of you in Christ and to make it reality in your life. That's what He does. What we are in and by Jesus Christ... We become by the indwelling Holy Spirit. What we are, you are in Christ. You have, there's no condemnation to you. That's reality. That's not positional truth. You know, God isn't looking at you through some kind of lens. You really are in Christ. That's real. That's reality. That's how God sees you. That's real. Hey, if He sees it, it's real. He's not, you know, pretending. Okay? But the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, causes you to experience it. You follow that? What you are in Christ, you become by the indwelling Spirit. Now, look at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things or the concerns of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things or the concerns of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. You know, all these bad things. The flesh is hostile toward God. The flesh cannot please God. And then he turns around and says, However, you aren't in the flesh. Brothers and sisters in Ohio and Michigan... You are not in the flesh. Praise the Lord. You're not in the flesh. That's the reality. You're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, that if indeed there in the Greek, listen to this, it actually means if after all, or if indeed is the case. That's why some translations use the word since. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. And so the Christians in Rome, Paul's clear, 
They have the Spirit of God. They're not in the flesh. Now we have two types of conduct here, and this is where I think we get practical. We have the conduct of the flesh, and we have the conduct of the Spirit. You can know the flesh by two things. Death and war. Death and war. Death and war out there, but death and war in your own life. When the flesh is taking over, there's war. (laughs) You're fighting against this thing called sin that lives in your flesh. And death, a sense of death. No life. But you know the Spirit by two things. Life and peace. Life and peace. How do you know if you are walking in the Spirit? There is life. There is a sense of life. There is that energy that comes from God. How do you know if someone's ministering in the Spirit? There's power. There's life. You follow me? It's not death. It's life. Christ is alive. He is living. It's life. And when Christ is given, when the Spirit is given, it energizes. There's an energy that comes from the Lord. And then there's peace. And I'm sure you know this, but when you know, when you have that sense of peace, there's a decision. You submit your opinions to the Lord. You submit your preferences to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I want to follow you in this. And then you have the peace. What's happening? That's a sign of the Spirit operating. Life and peace. The flesh, death and war. You are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. That is a cataclysmic declaration. You are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, let me give you a a key to living the Christian life, which you can't do. You cannot live the Christian life. There's only one who does that. There's only one who does that, and He lives in you. Let me give you a key here. Believing who you are. Believing. Believing who you are. If you believe that the Spirit is in you, and you believe that you are in the Spirit, and you believe that you are in Christ, and that there is no condemnation in Christ, if you believe that, accept that, it will change your life. But if, forgive me, but if you continue to hear, God's not happy. Do more. You can do more. You can live the Christian life. Try harder. You're not doing good enough. God's not happy with you. Okay, and all this stuff sometimes is very subtle. You know, it's not in your face, but you listen to it and you peel it back. Okay, Lord's not happy with me. You believe that, and if you believe you're in the flesh, you'll act like it. This is why we're called believers. Do you know why you're called a believer? I mean, throughout the New Testament, over and over again, the believers, the believers, the believers. Why are we called the believers? We believe. Why do we believe? I don't know. We just do. We believe. You know, I have friends who are atheists. They don't understand it. I don't either. I don't know why I believe. I've tried not to believe in God. I can't. I can't do it. It doesn't work. I've tried. I mean, I've had things happen to me. Amen. You have too, right? You're like, no, I don't, I don't believe this. And you go, I can't. I have to believe. I'm, you can't not believe. The Lord has done something into us. He has wrecked us in a way where we're believers. Well, saints, believe this. There's no condemnation to you because you're in Christ. And the Spirit lives in you. And you belong to Him. And 
You're in the Spirit. You're not in the flesh. Now, the only practical thing He gives us is this thing about setting the mind on the Spirit. Right? Mm -hmm. Those who set their minds on the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, the concerns of the Spirit, they walk in the Spirit. So the real question we ought to be asking is, okay, how do I set my mind on the Spirit? Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Here, here is one of the most important things you're going to hear this weekend. It's not the most important. The most important thing will be shared Sunday morning. <laughs> the most important thing will be shared Sunday morning. I'm serious. So the five of you that are left uh, coming to this conference Sunday morning, you will hear the most important thing, which will bowl you over. But this letter was not written to an individual. Romans was not written to an individual. Romans was not written to a group of individuals. Romans was not written to a group of people that attended a service once a week and then lived their individual Christian lives and tried to please God in their own individual Christian life. Romans was written to a community of believers that had a shared life together. And they, plural, they together learned how to mind the things of the Spirit. They together reminded one another of who they were in Christ. They together reminded one another that they had an indwelling Lord living in them and they were learning together how to live by that indwelling Lord. Now, saints, this gospel, Paul's gospel, my gospel, Milt's gospel doesn't work for an individual. It does not work. His gospel doesn't... You know, in Romans 7, he uses the word I 33 times. I, 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 I can't live the Christian life. I do bad when I want to do good and vice versa. No, no, it's a we. This has everything to do with knowing the Lord. You will never know Jesus Christ deeply. You will never learn to live by His indwelling life fully. You will never learn what it means to set your mind on the Spirit in the way that we're meant to be and we're made to be outside the experience of Ecclesia, a shared life community where brothers and sisters in Christ are living their life as a community. They're in one another's life and they have one goal and one purpose and that is Christ. To know Him, to live by Him, to follow Him, to love Him, to express Him. It doesn't work outside that context. No more than a polar bear is going to be able to live if you take him out of the Arctic. Saints, he's not going to make it. You take that whale out of salt water, he's not going to make it. That's his habitat. And so too for you, your habitat is in a living experience of the body of Christ. We call it organic church life. Opposed to institutional church life. Let me rephrase putting your mind on the Spirit. Notice he doesn't say set your mind on good. He didn't say they that put their mind, set their mind on good, walk in the Spirit. No, set your mind on the Spirit. He uses a phrase in 2 Corinthians, Paul does. Chapter 3, verse 18. He says, The Lord is that Spirit. 
And he says, as we behold Him, as we behold, as looking in a mirror, we move from glory to glory with unveiled faces. He uses the word turn. Turning to the Lord. The heart that turns to the Lord. Minding the Spirit. Putting your mind on the Spirit is the same as turning to the Lord. You have an indwelling Lord in you. Let me tell you exactly who's living inside you. Look at verse 9. Just real quick. I'm going to veer off in a second. I'm going to come back to it. Romans 8, 9. I want to tell you who's living inside you. Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Who dwells in you? The Spirit of God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Okay. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Who else dwells in you? The Spirit of Christ. But wait a minute. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, who else is in you? Christ is in you. But wait a minute. That's not all. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Jesus from the dead? God the Father. You have in you Jesus Christ. The real Christ. The Christ that died and rose again. He's in you. You have the Spirit of a living God that hovered over the waters of creation inside you. And you have the Father who raised Christ from the dead living inside you. Praise the Lord. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in you. And they are fellowshipping right now. Like they always have. Eternally. And you know something? You can turn. You can turn to that Lord inside. You can turn to Him. You can turn to Him. You can put your mind on Him. You can be concerned. You can touch Him. You can encounter Him. You can live by Him. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Isn't that better than just, well, you know, I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. I said the prayer. I'm going to heaven. Isn't that better than, oh gosh, man, I'm just not doing enough. Golly, i got to try harder. i got to do more. i got to do better than the best I can do. <laughs> no, God lives in me and I can live by Him and I can turn to Him. Now, brothers and sisters, what I'm going to do and what Milt will do this weekend is we're just going to give you a little taste. I say little taste because this is a universe. This is a universe. We're going to give you a few practical things, handles, Tools. We have no formulas to give. There's no five steps here. No formulas. But handles, tools, where you can turn to the Lord. And you can mind, put your mind, set your mind on the Lord. Turn to the Lord. And learn to live by Him. And it takes time. And it's not something that will happen. You know, it's not add water and stir. It's not microwave on high for five minutes. We're Americans. Okay, give it to me. Come on. I, I, I got to get home here. Give me, the, give me the steps, man. Come on, do it. Right here. Let's go. Get to it. No, saints, how about you live in a body of believers that's learning how to do this for the next three years? And after those three years, you talk about transformation. I have never seen, Milk can testify, we have never seen transformation in God's people like what happens when they get into a body of believers that's centered on Jesus Christ and knowing Him. You talk about mission. There's a lot of talk about mission, you know. Mission. 
I'll tell you where the mission comes from. It comes from an indwelling Lord and living by an indwelling Lord. And if mission comes out of anything else, it's you doing it. It's the soul. It's the power of the will. You know? And uh, there are some Christians, boy, we have such willpower to do good that if we were standing in front of the Red Sea with Moses, we wouldn't have needed God. We would have gotten our buckets and bailed it dry. And we would have done it. No, no, uh uh-uh. Not going to happen. Your will is not going to produce spiritual fruit. Only Jesus Christ can produce spiritual fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And this is a message that, I mean, here's the indictment of our age. We don't hear this. We hear a lot about the power of the Holy Ghost. We we hear a lot about doing good. You can't do good. Good's a life form. I can't do good any more than I can do cat, dog, mice, elephant. It's a life form. Only God is good. If He lives through me, that's good. Doing good is like fruit falling off a tree. It's organic and spontaneous. If we can get in touch with the life source and the Lord is living out His life, we'll see good. But it's not us doing it. Christ liveth in me. No longer I, but Christ liveth in me. Brothers and sisters, you can know the Lord deeply. This is something that's missing in the church today. Our knowledge of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about head knowledge, I'm talking about knowing Him, is so shallow. And it seems to me that in so many movements today that are trying to get God's people to, you're not doing enough, brother. Get off your butt and get out there. There's people going to hell. Come on. Come on now. What's wrong with you? Okay? Saints, if it's Him doing it, it will have no spiritual value at all. And it will not build toward God's eternal purpose, that which is by Him, through Him, and to Him. No. Let's teach Him how to get out of the way. And turn to the Lord. And Christ lives through you. Brother, that will last forever. Are you hearing my heart? This is my burden. This is my heart. And it's possible. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. My goodness, you're looking at the most imperfect person. Aside from my hair, you're looking at the most imperfect person. But saints, we carry one another. We pursue Him together. We learn Him together. We discover Him together. We share Him together. We live by Him together. It's a corporate thing. We're in verse 9. Let's go to verse 10. Living by an indwelling Lord, we're dealing with things that have to do with the instinctive nature of God. We're talking about things that have to do with learning how to follow Christ as He walks around inside of us. To live by God's nature is over against our fallen inclinations. You'll find as you learn this that you will have a set of values that no man has taught you. And you'll begin to understand Jesus' walk a lot better. Instead of focusing so much on His outward conduct, but the engine that was behind it. Where was all this coming from? And you'll see with new eyes that Jesus constantly was talking about this Father who lived inside of Him. Well, having said that, let's go to verse 10. If Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin. That simply means it's decaying, it's on its way to death because of sin. Yet the Spirit, your Spirit, is alive because of the righteousness of Christ. Because of the righteousness of Christ and what He did, your Spirit is now living and His Spirit lives in you. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Father, dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through His Spirit who dwells in you. And here He's talking about the resurrection. I don't know if you realize this, but I'll just tell you some good news. The older I get, the more disappointed I am with my physical body. It seems to be falling apart. When I was 20 years old, I mean, I can eat anything. I had so much energy. Now at 29, you know, I, I'm tired. I can't eat everything I want. I ache. My back hurts, right? Well, there's good news. That same spirit that's in you, and He is in you. He's put a seed in you. A seed. You know what that seed is? It's a brand new body. Like unto the glorious Son of God, His body. Jesus' resurrected body. It's a seed. It's in there. It doesn't come from the outside. It's inside. And it's waiting for a trumpet. <laughs> and once that happens, it's going to explode. And this dead carcass which is dying every day, is going to be laid aside. And our destiny is not heaven. It's not heaven, saints. That's not the destiny. It's a new heaven and a new earth in a new physical body. It's called a spiritual body in 1 Corinthians 15 because it's animated from the Spirit. But it's not invisible. It can walk through walls, but it also can eat fish and bread. And it can be touched just like Thomas Amen. touched. You see what I mean? That's the future. And you know, whenever I get disturbed about my body, I remember there's a seed in me. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to my mortal body and yours too. Praise the Lord. That's good. We have to remember that. That's our hope as Christians. Did you know? Our hope is not heaven. Our hope is the resurrected body living on earth, animated by Jesus Christ, just like Him. Firstborn among many brethren who look like Him. Praise the Lord. So, He's reminding us of this hope. This ministry of the Holy Spirit letting us know that the day and the hour will come. Milt, I, I'm going to dip into your one verse here that you're supposed to start with, so we'll overlap, okay? Can I do that? <laughs> verse 12, So then, brethren, we are, under, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. What does the rest of the verse say? Is that what it says? Sister, go ahead and read verse 12, the whole thing. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Let me just say this to you. He talks about mortifying the deeds of the body by the Spirit later. We are not obligated to live by this thing that lives in us called sin. And we don't have to. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Jesus Christ destroyed its power. And He gave us a life higher than sin. We live by Christ. We can live by Christ. He talks about mortifying the deeds of the body, putting to death the deeds of the body. He's talking about the sinful deeds of the body. The sinful deeds of the body are mentioned in Corinthians. They're mentioned in Galatians. These are the things that even the heathens say is wrong. Murder, adultery, lying, stealing, cheating. I mean, even the Gentile pagans will say that those things are wrong. Addictions. Addictions to drugs, 
sexual addictions, addictions. These are the things of the flesh. Listen, saints. If you're in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you and the Spirit is in you, you will, listen, you will put those things to death. It will happen. You will not live, you will not live for too long in that state. And I want to tell you something. I hope, we're going to take questions. Not tonight. We're going to take questions tomorrow afternoon and I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. I hope somebody asks me, Frank, how do I break an addiction? could be to drugs, to food, pornography, sexual things. I hope somebody asks me that question, saints, because let me tell you something. There is power in Christ and in His indwelling Spirit to break that from you. And there's some practical handles that will help you do it to get your mind on the Spirit and to turn to the Lord. But if the Spirit is in you, you will put these things to death. It will happen, eventually, for some. Now, What's my point? My point is number one, and this is, this is where I'm closing. Somebody dwells in you. And that's real. That's not a doctrine. It's not theology. It's not abstract. It's not positional truth. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit lives inside you. Point two, you can live by divine life. Point three, you can't do it as an individual. You were never meant to live by the Lord as an individual. Point four, you do it as a body of believers, locally. Point five, God will hear your prayer if you are somewhere where nobody is. I mean, let's say you come to this conference and tomorrow morning you find out that nobody lives anywhere near you. All your friends think you're nuts. You know, they're all happy going to church on Sunday morning and checking in and checking out and and you want more. The Lord will hear your prayer. He will either bring you a group of people or He will connect you with others or He'll relocate you. One of the things that Milton and I do, one of the major things when we work with a a new group of Christians, uh, and I don't mean new Christians, I mean a new group of Christians, When we work with a church, a new church plant, our goal, our number one goal in the beginning is to set them free and to see the Lord Jesus like they never have before where they naturally fall in love with Him. You will not fall in love with the Lord by me saying, love the Lord. Love Him. Come on now, love Him. But if you can see how much He loves you and your eyes are open to that, you will fall in love with Him. You will not love one another by me saying, the Bible says love one another. Let me read the scriptures here. Let's go through them. Old Testament, New Testament. Underline it, please. Love one another. That won't happen. But if we can present Christ, or someone can present Jesus Christ in His depths, you will naturally want to embrace your brother and sister. You, you will look at your brother, your sister, who you've had problems with, and you say, you know what? Yeah, they're a pain in the butt. But... I don't know why, but I love them. Because you've touched love. And this will happen with people in the world. This will happen with the lost, you know? I mean, things change. And to stand on a different mountain and see from a different view through his eyes. One of the things that Milton and I do when we work with a group of Christians is not only present the Lord, but to show God's people very practically how to turn to the Lord. 
how to mind the things of the Spirit, how to live by this indwelling life. And we're going to do some of that this weekend. Some, just a little bit now, just a little bit. Lord Jesus, because I am in you, there is no condemnation for me now. I cannot be condemned because I'm in you. And you can't be condemned. I am so thankful that I am in you, free from any hint of condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free in you from the law of sin and death. For your Father has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He sent you to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh. And He condemned sin in your body in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in me, one who walks not according to the flesh, but according to your Spirit. I do not live according to the flesh, and I do not set my mind on the concerns of the flesh. But because I am in you and you live in me, and I am in your spirit, I live according to your spirit. And my mind, thank you, Lord, my mind is concerned with the things of your spirit. And your spirit is life and peace. Thank you for the life and peace, Lord Jesus. I am not hostile to you or your Father, but I have peace with you and your Father. Because I'm in you and your Spirit is in me, your Father is well pleased with me. Just as He said to you, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I am in you now. And your Father says the same to me. I am not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your Spirit dwells in me. He lives in me.